Ambos is an all-encompassing medical student platform written by doctors that combines a comprehensive library with over 8,000 concise articles with a multiple QBank with over 5,000 multiple choice questions in the form of clinical case scenarios. The entire platform is filled with great learning features that will help to enhance your studies. Ambos comes along with two mobile apps and a great Enki add-on that you can download for free. If you have not used Ambos yet, you can sign up for a free five-day trial on ambos.com to study smarter, not harder. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Global Health Chat. Today, Jess and I are very lucky to be joined by um, Professor Ray Hodgson, who has done amazing work in global health. And we're going to be chatting with him about his work that he does in Nepal and some of his passions for global health. So thank you so much for joining us, Ray. It's a pleasure. Very um, good, Jess. Yeah. And would you like to tell us a bit about your journey with global health? Yeah, um, I'm a gynecologist obstetrician, but my journey with global health began in the, in the general area of medicine and uh, must have been about 14 or 15 years ago, I joined a group um, um, from Australia called um, um, World Health. And we, we uh, traveled to Southern India um, and uh, Central Thailand where we, where we treated patients, underprivileged patients with general medical problems. Um, that, was, that was really fulfilling in lots of ways, but, but um, because I was trained as a gynecologist, obstetrician, I, I felt that I could help more if I could find an area um, of need in um, global health that specifically addressed those, those skills that I had in obstetrics and gynecology. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And um, we know that you travel frequently to Nepal and specifically work there, um, especially, you know, helping with the women's health um, in Nepal, especially with uterine prolapse. And we wanted to know what made you choose Nepal? And is there a specific sort of gender parity in that country that sort of drew you to um, try to, you know, aid N Nepalese women? Yeah, thank, thanks, Jess. And Absolutely. I, I, it was about 12 years ago and I was sitting in my surgery here in Australia uh, when a patient I was talking to talked about her thesis that she'd written about, um, she called it uterine prolapse in Nepal. And mm. Interesting thesis, but why Nepal of all places? And she said, oh, don't you realise there's more um, uterine prolapse, genital prolapse in Nepal than any other country in the world? And not mm. that, it happens in young people, not just older postmenopausal women. And I didn't know that. Um, that was uh, that uh, genital prolapse was an area that here in Australia I spent a lot of time with and still do, um, providing surgery for, for people suffering with that. So I thought to myself, well, I'll go and explore this in Nepal um, to see how prevalent it actually is and how, how bad it is. So 2010, I first went over there. Um, and found that it was everywhere, really severe mm. prolapse and often in younger women, um, sometimes even in their 20s. Um, and uh, I thought to myself, well, I'll just join some international group that's surely providing surgery for these, these women who suffer so much. Um, but no group existed. So um, we just thought, well, bugger it, we'll start our own organisation. So that's what happened in 2011. We, we started our own organization. Initially, that was just to treat prolapse, genital prolapse um, in Nepal. But then after the first 12 months, we realized they had a second issue with women's health in Nepal. 
and that was um, um, maternal perinatal care. There are a lot of maternal deaths and neonatal uh, deaths and stillbirths, perinatal deaths. A lot of mm. mothers and babies were dying in Nepal as well. So we branched out to treat maternal health as well. So we now have two arms, the, the um, genital, genital prolapse arm and the second arm of maternal neonatal health. You asked about gender parity or inequity. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, it is rough in rural Nepal. Um, so I guess it is in so many developing countries, but that it's a it's as, as gorgeous as the people are as a general statement in Nepal. Um, they are beautiful people, but there is um, it's a patriarchal country, and right. women's health suffers as a result of that. Women's education suffers as a result, and education and health, as you would know, go hand in hand. Um, it's one thing to do with the physical problems of of um, severe genital prolapse and maternal neonatal, neonatal health, but um, a massive part of that is tackling the culture, uh, cultural issues as well. What are some of the aspects of the Nepalese culture that you um, find really interesting or when you mm. first went to Nepal? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> um, it, it's maybe a bit euphemistic for, for um, frustrating and yeah. um, um, sometimes you tear your hair out. Women, if we just take maternal deaths, for instance, most maternal deaths in Nepal happen because people attempt to deliver their babies at home. Uh, that's not, not um, the same as trying to have a baby at, at home birth in Australia. The, the, there's no skilled birth attendants at home. They have what they call traditional birth attendants who have had no formal training. And we know that uh, even though many of these birth, traditional birth attendants are, are quite are quite um, good people and, and have got their heart in the right place. When there's a complication like a severe hemorrhage or severe preeclampsia or severe infection, obstructed labor, it takes a long time to get that woman um, into a hospital. It's often days walk, or if you can't walk, days of her being carried to get to the hospital. 80% of people who try to deliver their babies in rural Nepal will do this, do this at home or try to have their babies at home. We know that if we can get them into the hospital to have their labours there, they're much more likely to survive. And babies are much more likely to, to survive. But the cultural problems come in there because the husbands often won't let them come into the hospital. Mm -hmm. They will say, no, no, my mother, my grandmother had her babies at home. You need to stay home and look after the other children or to cook or clean for them. I forbid you to come to the hospital. Now, it's not universal by any means. I mean, there are some wonderfully caring and compassionate, understanding human human beings as men in Nepal. But there is a substantial number of other men who, who, with their traditions and culture, do not believe in that and believe the woman's place is in the home. That's one example of where the cultural challenges, the cultural scourge, uh, is a major issue. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and so so with these cultural challenges, did you notice when you went to Nepal, there was a bit of hesitancy to actually accept the aid that you were providing, since there was that big discrepancy into what you know we perceive in our culture compared to Nepalese culture? Not so much, um, and that you would expect so, Jess, wouldn't you? But um, the, the people who come to our camps. Um, are allowed by their husband. That's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But they are allowed to come. Sometimes the husbands will come with them and sit with them uh, 
um, stay overnight when they're waiting for their appointment in our, in our camps. So we're seeing a select group, I guess, of women who, who um, are the ones who, who, um, who, who the patriarchal um, aspects of the culture don't apply so much. But we're aware, the people, the women we do see are those who attempt to deliver the babies at home and then carried into us mm -hmm. um, in extreme um, hypotension from their from their mm -hmm. from their blood loss and, uh, and sometimes don't survive um, th but they're a minority so we're aware it's out there um, and um, we um, we one of the things we try to do is to arrange strategies to overcome that cultural barrier mm -hmm. we can't walk in there with our guns blazing and just say stop stop this right now stop your your culture is wrong our culture is right um, stop right. treating women like this stop abusing them this is a human rights issue stop it stop it right now we, we can't say that we want to we want to say that but that'll just blow up in our faces and we'll we'll have even more resistance than we currently have so we have other strategies and, and, and if i can give you an example of um, yeah, please, yeah. Of, which is which was actually accidental um discovery serendipity that's that's the words this is serendipity we one of the things we do is um we we train um midwives in Nepal, local midwives, so Nepalese women midwives, we train them how to do obstetric ultrasound. So we take um, teams over and ultrasound machines to train these um, Nepalese midwives to perform obstetric ultrasound. In most parts of rural Nepal, it's just not available. And we did that because we thought, well, if we do this, we'll, 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 um, we'll find things like placenta previa, where the placenta is too low. And if, woman comes into labor when the placenta is low she'll hemorrhage and if it's um, far from the hospital she'll die and mm. that was the reason we brought that into to um, Nepal after a three-week period we trained these midwives up eight at a time what we found to our delight was when we had these camps suddenly all these women would come from everywhere uh, with their husbands the women we'd never seen before they come over the mountains and across the rivers and lakes and 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 they didn't give us stuff about fetal welfare. <laughs> All they wanted to see was a picture of their baby. And we'd be mm -hmm. advertising our clinics on the, their local radio and so forth. So they would sit in a room, um, in a waiting room, waiting for their ultrasound. A woman often with her husband and wait for two or three hours to have their scan. So we then, in this waiting room, we, we began showing videos of breastfeeding and hygiene. And when they're there, mm -hmm. the midwives, and the nurses will take their blood pressures and give them vaccinations and they'd show them the labor ward and show how friendly everybody was so <laughs> we we're still collecting data about that but we're convinced i'm convinced that there are more lives saved from that um, than there are from picking up these placenta previews and other things it wasn't designed that way but but that's um that's another way around it's a it's a more strategic way now around that cultural barrier problem Oh, that's, that's such a serendipitous, it that's is. a perfect yeah. word for it, it's a, discovery, yeah. It's a, it's a lovely serendipitous yeah. situation, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, with the recent events with the pandemic, how has that affected what you've been doing in Nepal and what you're hoping to do um, in the coming few months of the, year? The, the COVID pandemic, yeah. it, it's affected us in a massive way. We, our teams would normally go over a few times a year for a few weeks at a time. I haven't been, we haven't been um, at all last year. It's been 18 months now since I've been in Nepal. And, and uh, even if we were to go, the, the, the hospitals are full of COVID patients. There's very few um, beds left in most hospitals in, in Nepal. Um, 
India is making the headlines because the, the crisis from the COVID pandemic is so severe over there. There are just as many deaths per head of population uh, as there are in India. The population is much smaller, so it doesn't make the news, but but um, it is devastating over there. And uh, we're, um, we've got separate fundraising activities that we're involved with now just to, just to get them to buy the basic monitoring equipment and oxygen machines and so forth, um, just, to, just to provide that basic care. It's about, um, it's about every 10 minutes, um, uh, every 10 minutes is a death from COVID. And that's, uh, that's for a population much bigger than Australia, yeah. that's massive. Yeah, that is massive. I feel like sometimes in Australia, you're a bit sheltered from the realities of COVID. You know, we've we've already had you know catastrophes in Australia, but compared to the rest of the world, we've done yeah, it's quite well. Yeah, for um, granted, isn't it? And we're just on having yeah. having um, you know, Zoom video calls with the, my colleagues over there in in Nepal, the local Nepalese, and it's it's heartbreaking because you know these people, and I say, I lost my parents last week. Um, I've lost seven of my classmates. There's 23 hospital workers of a bed now. Th those sorts of figures, when you know the people there, it, it drives mm. it hard. But you're right, Jess, we're sheltered from that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. My news feeds now just are full of people complaining about um, problems with COVID and vaccinations in Australia. I feel like, I feel like saying, just, just go and have a look at other countries and realise how lucky we are. Yeah, exactly. Completely agree. Um, and we know you've written a book called Heartbreak in the Himalayas. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about the book and sort of what what your overall message is? Yeah, the, this um, this this uh, book, Heartbreak in the Himalayas, it's about our adventures that we have over in Nepal. Mm -hmm. it, um, it's, it's one particular camp that I chose to write about with, with seven volunteers um, and all the the, the dramas and challenges and and happy and sad episodes that happened during that during that three week camp. Um, it's uh, it, the, the the sales from that book, of course, go entirely to to the work we're doing in Nepal. Uh, it's going well. It's on the bestseller list now, which is which is great. And when I go home of an of an evening now, I, I, I sit down. I'm doing the audio version of the book, so I'm trying to I'm trying to. Um, uh, narrate the book, which which with so many different accents from people in the in the book is yeah. really <laughs> um, it's um, it's uh, it, it's it's going nicely. We're, 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 our project at the moment, as you probably know, is that we're building a hospital for mothers and babies in, in eastern Nepal, and uh, um, the, the the sales from the book contribute towards that, and we're we're slowly and steadily climbing climbing to our target of um, one point five. Million dollar, one point five two million dollars to build and fit out the hospital, which probably doesn't sound much in Australian terms. You wouldn't buy a ward for that in Australia, but that's a whole thirty-five bed hospital with operating theatre and labour ward and so forth. Um, yeah. Cool. And so, what are some of the other health issues that you've seen in some of the women who you've uh, met in Nepal? What are some of the other uh, big maternal issues? Yeah, there's a lot of malnutrition. Um, you know, it's, um, there, uh, there's a, there's that that has influences that has effects on their development as in, in puberty, adolescence. They have babies at a young age, um, and they try to deliver them with bodies that are 
they're not um, not just young, but they're, they're, they're poorly developed, developed from malnutrition as well. Um, they, they um, uh, you would be aware of the problem of um, chow party is the, is the, is the Nepalese um, word for um, menstrual problems and women having to, to isolate themselves for a few days each month when they have having their monthly periods or after they had a baby for the, for the several days when they're um, losing their lochia, having babies. Um, that's, um, that, that affects their health um, in lots of ways, not just mentally, but physically as well. And, and uh, these people are cast out for that, for that time and it's accepted, unfortunately, even though it's now illegal, it's accepted in many parts of the, especially the rural parts of the country. Um, that affects them with hypothermia, with, with um, uh, that the, the have severe dietary restrictions during that time as well, um, and uh, that's uh, that's a challenge which, which we're not directly involved with ourselves, but there are other um, NGOs that are having having uh, a big impact there, trying to trying to overcome those problems. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and. Um, Ray, you've talked a bit about how, you know, your fundraising. Um, could you tell us a little bit about where we could go if we wanted to help and donate? Yeah, um, and please, every every single cent will, will help us. And, and our website's a good one to visit. It'll, it, uh, it'll describe in more detail what I've been talking about. And it's also got the um, um, links there if, if anyone was keen to... Um, if you make the smallest donation or buy a book, you can do that online as well. That website address is um, www.a4wh, Australians for Women's Health Service, and A, and then for the digit four, wh.org, um, O-R-G. Um, that'll, that'll give you lots more information and links and so forth there. Wonderful. And we'll post that link at the bottom of our uh, podcast episode as well. So That's it's great. easy for people yeah. to get access to. And just one final question. Uh, so what advice would you give people who listen to this podcast in their pursuits of global health? Yeah, if you're, um, I would imagine there's medical students listening here. Um, and when you're learning your various diseases and treatments and investigations and so forth, I say this to our students here, just just like we're spoiled and very fortunate as far as the COVID pandemic goes, we're also very spoiled as far as medical care and opportunity exists there. What I say to every student going through is just, you can order a CT or an MRI or, or um, advanced um, medications to treat this condition, but just, just think to yourself, if I was working in Central Australia or, or um, deepest, darkest Africa or rural Nepal, that CT scan wasn't available, that MRI wasn't available, or I couldn't do that microbiology test, I couldn't do that PCR to try and work out if there's an infection there or not. What would I do now? How would I, how would I work? What, what strategies could I use to, to um, instead of the advanced investigations and treatments that we have available here? Um, I might just have a, an X-ray machine instead of an MRI, or I might not have a, laboratory to confirm that this is a sexually transmitted disease. So how would I manage that with these limited resources? That's one thing I'd say. The other thing I'd say is um, once this pandemic is, is over and done with, just give it a try. Just go to uh, Central Australia or one of these developing countries. If you haven't already done it, just to, just to experience it, um, to, to help out, absolutely. But to, to stop taking for granted the things that we have available to us here as well. 
and give it a try. Even just for a few weeks, do it for a few months, even better. Make, make that your life and uh, that would be phenomenal. Well, thank you for such incredible and inspiring words and we're going to go away and feel very passionate about global sure. health. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That was, that was really amazing. I'll, I'll definitely take that sort of with me in the future and during my clinical years and beyond. So thank you so much for joining us today, Prof Hodgson. Thanks, Jess. Thanks, Eric. Our podcast is so excited to be sponsored by OSCEBank. OSCEBank is an amazing resource designed for medical students by Australian doctors. It provides over 180 stations for you to study efficiently for your OSCE preparations. What me and Erica love about OSCEBank is that there's an option to both study solo as well as in an interactive live group. This allows you to study not only in your own time, but also with a group of friends, allowing you to more efficiently prepare for your OSCE exams. Both Eric and I have had um, an amazing time studying with OSCEBank and I know personally it's really helped me with my end of year exams. Thanks to OSCEBank for sponsoring this video.